Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the 24th episode of Tales of Tamriel. Boy, do we have a fun show planned for you today, and we have lots we want to talk about. But first, let me introduce the host. As always, I am your great sword swinging, light-wielding Templar host, Jelos. And with me, as always, we have the beast healing, unless there are spiders in the dungeon, then she doesn't even really want to look at the screen to heal, Sorceress Thais. How are you doing this afternoon, my dear? I am really good. You know, it's kind of warm, I'm kind of sleepy, but it's a good day. Excellent. Well, as I stated earlier, we do have a lot to go over. This week, there is a lot of interesting news on the Elder Scrolls Online front, as well as some awesome reveals from creative director at ZeniMax, Mr. Paul Sage himself, during his interview on Elder Scrolls Off the Record. And we will be discussing some of those highlights in our discussion topic this evening. But for now, let's delve into the load of news and have a great time, shall we? First off on game news, patch 1.2.5 hit uh, hit live servers on Monday, July 7th. Um, and let's see here as I pull up my notes here. First off for the overview, the Elder Scrolls Online version 1.2.5 is an incremental patch and addresses many issues with quest, UI, and gameplay. We also introduced some changes to the veteran system to make it more solo friendly. We have implemented some small performance improvements that may result in better frames per second for some. Please note that this is part of an ongoing effort to resolve client performance issues, and we will be working on additional improvements and fixes as well. First up, big changes, updates, and new features. Veteran rank changes. Phase 1 of our veteran gameplay changes begin with this patch. The first in a series of changes we'll be making to improve the post-50 experience overall. We've lowered the difficulty of the second and third alliance zones to bring them more in lines with zones from 1 to 50. You'll be able to continue soloing through them more easily than before, though they'll still be challenging. We have much more information about veteran system changes on the way, so make sure to watch our site for updates. Okay, let's hit this one first, because this one... I think is both good and controversial at the same time. The hardcore the hardcore fan base, those of us like myself who prefer the Dark Souls difficulty, saw this as a pretty big nerf to content. Now, those who are 
of the more solo friendly or they want to be more solo and play this almost like a single player Elder Scrolls games found the veteran content to be too hard and I know a lot of people quit the game because of veteran veteran rank content they felt it was too difficult it didn't it didn't reward well enough for the amount of effort you had to put in it now when me and youth ace when we were playing the veteran content felt right for duo because we each had our own assortment of heals and stun damage and, and and duo it felt a nice level of difficulty that i found was very enjoyable um it it uh punished us if we did something stupid but it didn't feel so difficult that it felt impossible do you agree with that i do agree i do i, I enjoyed how it felt when we were playing together on stros mckay right uh, however, did uh, when we logged back in on Monday and I've been starting to play the veteran content yet again, I noticed that the veteran content, like I was out there the other day, um, on my Templar, well, it was actually today, uh, when you're making fun of me for having two games up at once, um, I was just putzing around, uh, Stros Makai on my Templar, my VR1 Templar, just farming materials. And I pulled three or four of the veteran rank one wolves and i was able to take them down they got me to about 50 percent health but i really didn't feel like i was in danger at any given time whereas before without you that would have been detrimental um so it seems like it's a pretty substantial nerf to the content do you think this is actually going to be a good thing or do you think it actually harms the game in the long run I think it harms the game more than helps the game. If they if they wanted to make a change to the veteran rank system, they shouldn't have just made the overall difficulty of the mobs easier. That's not what they should have done. They should have made it so that it made you want to continue in the veteran rank content. Maybe make them hit a little less hard, but up the reward you get. That, that that definitely makes more sense than going, oh, you will just take the nerf bat to this content. Wham! Now you can just, you know, breeze right through it. I, I think it was a bad decision. Do you think it'll bring players back who who hit the brick wall of VR content and gave up? I, I think it will. I do. Once they hear that, oh, well, VR content isn't nearly as difficult as it was, I think think it will bring people back and they'll be happy to see that it's easier for maybe you know a couple weeks and then they'll go wow this is way too easy as as with our story you know later on in the show some things are better off being a little more difficult it it, it adds the sense of accomplishment absolutely i mean I, i i hate easy games if it's easy it's boring to me and it it allows the content locust to just rip through it. I personally agree with you. I think they took the wrong approach. Um, they shouldn't have nerfed the difficulty, but they should have substantially upped the rewards. Now, I love Zenimax, and you'll hear us gushing about them later because they've done a lot of cool stuff. But it feels like this was just a knee-jerk reaction because of the loss of subs. Because I think what they did is they saw the loss of subs and the amount. If you ever went to the official Elder Scrolls Online forums... It was nothing but forum posts of people whining and complaining about how hard veteran rank dungeons actually are. Or not dungeons, veteran rank content was. And 
I think they took a knee-jerk reaction of, we don't want to lose players over this, people aren't enjoying it, let's nerf it. Rather than taking the, honestly, it probably would have taken them a lot longer, but to redo the entire reward structure. But then you'd also have to look at the players who've already completed everything. How do you go back and retroactively reward them? Because if they didn't, there would be a lot of complaints about, hey, I already went through the content when it was difficult and rewarded me nothing. And now these new players are going through and getting five times the rewards that I was or whatever the case may be. How is that fair? I think that would actually um, cause more harm than good. So I don't know. In the long run, I think this is a good thing for the veteran content. Let the people solo. Um, I I wouldn't have looked forward to so Not that I wouldn't look forward to because I like hard difficulty, but I think it would be a lot more daunting if I was going up against this stuff solo in veteran rank, but I always play with you, so it was never difficult. But, uh, yeah, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. I've actually already seen on Twitter a couple people saying they were already coming back because of the changes to veteran ranks, and now they'll pick their characters back up again. So I've, I've seen a pretty positive uh, response from the people who've already left Elder Scrolls Online because of the VR content wall. But I've seen a lot of negativity as well on the people who've stayed and who have been playing it, and they're, they just feel like they've nerfed the game. So... We'll have to wait and see, uh, but we will be talking a little bit about how they're planning on changing the veteran rank system later on during our discussion topic. Um, Otherwise, for patch 1.2.5, there wasn't a lot of other things in here. Uh, A lot of fixes and improvements for the Alliance War. Uh, There was audio fixes, um, combat, and gameplay, specifically... Templar changes to Restoring Light. Honor the Dead will now properly return Magicka if the target is healed over 50%. Thank goodness, because I actually use that ability a lot. So, yay. Um, And they fixed Silver Bolts in the Fighter's Guild. They fixed an issue where this ability would proc 100% of the time against werewolves, specifically in werewolf form. Well, you know, I actually didn't see that as broken because I'd want it to proc 100% of the time. It'd probably suck if you were a werewolf, but I would have wanted it to stay 100% of the time. Um, there are some more quest changes as well as dungeon and group content fixes. If you're interested in checking out these patch notes, you can either find them on the official forums uh, under the patch notes section or tsoelite.com does a great um, great little write-up of all the patch notes if you'd like to see it there as well. Moving on to the next bit of news, it is another Battlemaster corner, the Blood Rogue. Ooh, the Blood Rogue. All right, this guy goes through his um, his little. Oh, it looks like he has, did a little bit of a role play story here about his his guy. Uh, he plays Breton, and he is making a. Well, this is a Nightblade. Did you read through any of this things? I did. Okay, can do you know enough to actually give a little bit of a synopsis for this? Oh dear me, my nightblade is only about level ten. Oh man, um, all I can really say is I I liked it when I went when I read through it, except for using the bow. I'm not really into the bow skills. I I think the way that the bow looks could have been done better. That's just the only complaint I have. As for the skills that he uses in dual wielding and the thief skills, those are 
Those are really good. He says, I like to call myself a blood rogue. I siphon health from from enemies to stay alive while dealing some nice damage. I wear a mix of heavy and medium armor, medium for sneak and stamina bonus, and heavy for defense. After all, why should I drain HP when I don't have the defense to keep it up? I'm using dual wielding mostly, I prefer swords, and use a bow when in a group if I need to kill something from a distance. I've also got some skill with the restoration staff, but I don't use it very often. Alright, so it looks like this guy's focusing very heavily on augmenting the uh, Nightblade's natural siphoning abilities. So this is attack and heal kind of thing, almost like... Uh, there was a, a class in another game called Dark Age of Camelot that did this. It was the Vampire class that was a, a not really a rogue in that it's stealthed or anything like that, but its attacks would actually drain health. So it, it's kind of kind of looks like he's going that route. It looks pretty solid, other than the fact that Nightblade sucks. So take that with a grain of salt. Um, if you're interested in checking this out, it is on the official Elder Scrolls Online page under their community projects. All right, we're going to move on to the next set of news. Um, the Road Ahead article, July 8th. Now, this is a fun one. This really is. He talks a lot about Update 3. So, first off, for uh, the Road Ahead, Zoss and ESO at QuakeCon. As part of the Pan Bethesda fan event, we'll be out in force at the QuakeCon in Dallas. I'm sorry about that. From July 17th through the 20th, most of... Most events related to the Elder Scrolls Online will be held on Friday, July 17th. We'll have our own panel. There will be hands-on stations at our booth, and we'll host a Q&A session. Everyone is welcome. We'd love to see you there. If you can't make it to the show, you can join us uh, to watch the panel and Q&A from our Twitch channel, which I'm going to attempt to do. Here's the breakdown of what we're planning. The future of ESO panel. This is a big one, guys, where senior developers will talk about their different responsibilities and what they're working on. Creative Director Paul Sage will present an update on changes coming to the veteran system, uh, which we will cover further down in the article, and lots more. There's a community meet and greet after the panel, PvP tournament, and a trials tournament, both with live streams. So if you are planning to attend QuakeCon and want to... uh, Join up on any of these tournaments, you will want to sign up right away. Uh, For those who don't know, QuakeCon is one of the largest open land parties in the U.S. Actually, it might be the world. I don't even know. Um, But it's it's pretty neat. If it wasn't held in Dallas, we might actually go. But whoever wants to go to Texas. Um, Next up. EU Mega Server Updates. We're getting closer and closer to being able to announce a specific date for the migration of the EU mega server to our Frankfurt data center. As I type this, it looks like the move will happen during either the last week of July or the first week of August. This is obviously a delicate operation, and we have to make sure that everything is up and running and that all character data is transferred successfully. We are taking the time to do it right. That's pretty neat. Um, I know a lot of people have been... (laughs) A lot of the EU players, I feel bad for them having to connect to an EU server, if you could see I'm doing air quotes here, EU server that's held in the United States. So by moving it over to, um, where is it, Frankfurt? Frankfurt. Oh, Frankfurt. Nice. Um, 
they should get better ping rates. Um, during the Elder Scrolls Online, or not, yeah, Elder Scrolls Online interview with director Paul Sage on uh, Elder Scrolls Off the Record, he talks about this, and he doesn't expect people to see much of a improvement because he thinks it's actually really good for EU players anyway. Um, if any of our EU player base out there want to send us a mail and tell us what your experience is, whether or not you have lag and latency issues, I would be really curious about this. Um, so save those emails and wait till it transfers and then send me an email about, uh, your experiences before and after the move. I think it'll be pretty, pretty cool. Next up is veteran rank system. Uh, we've been listening to your feedback about ESO's veteran rank content. Some of the issues are that it's too much of a departure from the 150 experience. You know what? I actually do agree with that. It is a very large departure from the one to 50. Um, I've but, been enjoying that. I well, like that it's different. I have too, but I think Pete, like they said, they hit a brick wall because it really was a huge jump up in difficulty. It's much more grindy, air quotes. It can be too difficult and rewards don't match the effort you put into the progress. I agree with the rewards part. I am very happy to say that we're making a series of announcements starting at QuakeCon that will address... Pl- problems with the veteran system in ESO leading to a much more compelling high-level PVE experience for everyone. In the interim, we've implemented some balance changes to content in the post-50 zones that will make it much more like the content from 1 to 50. Our goal is to remove the feeling of, I just hit a wall of difficulty, that many of you have commented on. You'll be able to solo much more easily. One of our guiding principles of our veteran gameplay was to encourage people, not force them, to group. We wanted people to be able to solo the max, solo to max level, but still wanted you to participate in group content. This principle was the reason we made our post-50 zones more difficult. We wanted you to get together with others and take down tougher challenges. But this hasn't been well received. Many of you love the game you played from 1 to 50, and the veteran level zones are too much of a departure from that experience. We know you want the ability to continue participating in solo content as you progress through veteran ranks. This will occur over time, but a few things, uh, the first few phases look like this. Before I go over the phases, you know, I actually do agree with him right there, the uh, forcing you to group, like it felt natural for us to duo veteran content hence why we were saying how nice it felt when me and you were playing together and solo it was kind of a daunting experience so pretty much everyone just needs to you know have a significant other with them or get a nice game playing wife or husband you know i actually said that in uh in the tales of tamriel uh fans friends and family guild the other night was I encouraged everyone that if you have a significant other or a friend that's really close to make a character um, with them and only play it with them like you and I do and do everything duo from one, you know, from level one to VR 12. Just one, yeah, and it's a big time commitment, but make it an alter something and play with one other person. And it is, it's a fun experience. It really is. It's one of the best that I've encountered in a uh, MMORPG. All right, back to the article. Phase one. Make sure the difficulty in veteran zones ramps up slowly and rarely exceeds what a good player can do on their own. 
and I put emphasis on the good player, that was from me. This change comes to live servers on July 7th. By the time you read this, you should be able to play veteran content the same way you played 1-50. to Phase 2, they're going to remove the veteran point system and have a normal experience gains direct the growth of the veteran system. Also will increase the amount of XP granted in PvP. This will happen at some point over the summer as we transition to the new system. Phase 3, they're going to introduce a completely new veteran system based on new character customization and growth mechanics. We'll talk more about this in the future, especially during QuakeCon, but for now, be aware that we're going to make some much-needed changes post-50 PvE gameplay. The primary reason for making this change is to ensure that you have a meaningful choices in the post-50 PvE game experience that reinforce the design idea that you can play the way you want to play. Alright, let's talk about that just a little bit. Um, we're going to talk about a lot of the stuff that he revealed because he did, Paul Sage revealed a lot during the Elder Scrolls Off the Line or Off the Record interview. I just smushed Elder Scrolls Online and Elder Scrolls Off the Record into one conglomerate. <laughs> yeah, just, it was a mess. <laughs> let's just stop there. Okay, um, how do you feel about that, Thais? excited to see how it's gonna work I, I don't quite understand it yet you were you were explaining some things to me before didn't make much sense so I'm curious to see how it's going to work what what are they really going to do well but at the same time I, I'm kind of thinking why are they changing it so much there's there's still a there's still easier things they could have done to just improved it they don't have to completely scrap the idea and start over. So I'm just, I'm a little weary. I don't know how it's going to work. Well, I actually know a little bit about what we're going to talk about a little later. So I'm excited for the changes and I think they're good overall. Um, but here's one thing that I made note of. There is a difference between veteran rank experience and normal experience. Hence why when we hit level 50 all the way back in the rift... And then went through Cold Harbor together as, um, we didn't gain any experience for veteran levels. It's because normal experience points don't work for veteran levels in its current iteration. Now they're changing that, they're just saying, you know what, forget it. Anything you do that earns you experience will earn you veteran rank experience. We're just going to get rid of veteran rank, you'll just use normal experience. So I think that'll be kind of nice because then if you go back to lower level stuff just to mess around, it'll actually, you can still do different stuff and get a little bit of rewards. Okay, next up, um, Ace, why don't you read this update three and guild enhancements? Okay, update three or guild extravaganza as we call it, introduces lots of guild and player customization improvements and it will be coming to the public test server soon few features. I'm gonna preface soon by it's live now, just so you know. <laughs> few features are more important to ESO than guilds. They provide the easiest and most fun way to meet new people, chat with groups while you're playing, and are almost always the first choice when putting together a dungeon or PvP group. As such, we're devoting a large portion of Update 3 to making sure that guilds are easy to create, fun to join and manage, and provide players with a social group that helps them in their journey through Time Real. It is also important to note that almost all of these guild enhancements came about as a result of your feedback. 
please keep up the comments on the forums, on social media, and in places like Reddit. We are reading and listening. Here's a quick summary of Update 3's Guild Enhancements. Management. Guild leaders can create, delete, and promote guild ranks. Guilds can have up to 10 ranks of membership, each of which can have its own icon. The Bank. Guild leaders can set permissions to allow members to withdraw guild from the guild bank based on their rank. Store Updates. Anyone in your alliance can browse your guild store in Cyrodiil if your guild owns a keep. Traders. The Gold Coast Trading Company will establish kiosks throughout the cities of Tamriel. The merchants running the kiosk can be hired by guilds on a weekly basis, via auction, to act as a portal to their guild store, which can be browsed by any player in the guild's alliance. Auctions use a blind bidding process and are held once a week per merchant. Heraldry, which I know Ag is very excited for. Mm-hmm. Guild leaders can design guild heraldry for their guilds if they have 10 or more members. Each guild member can purchase and wear a tavern emblazoned with the guild's chosen colors and crest. There are 250 colors, 63 backgrounds, and 136 crests that can be mixed and matched to form guild heraldry. Mm-hmm. Look at that tavern. Hey, look, there's a tavern. <sighs> Tavern's everywhere. I'm actually really excited about this. Um, but first off, let's start at the top of this, and we'll hit the bullet points. They're updating guild management to allow you to create, delete, and promote ranks. I know, I don't know why people make such a big deal about it, but they do because some people like to be very nitty gritty. Don't look at me. I'm not. I know when I was a guild leader. Yes, I was the same way. But uh, all right, you know what? I do understand. Stop it. Stop giving me the eye daggers. He'd have twenty ranks. For, like, every version of a member with these really strange descriptions on why they were those ranks. And when I took over one of the guilds, because he couldn't do it anymore, I think I deleted 80% of them. And I had, like, member, veteran, member, officer, and guildmaster. And that's all I needed. Yes. Well, some people really like that. They like to have multiple different uh, ranks for officers team leads class leads stuff of that nature now you'll be able to create this and i don't know why actually i do so i'm not even gonna say that um if you're if you really like management there you go and actually i can tell you right now with the tales of tamriel gil one of our four ranks is getting deleted we're going down to three because i don't use the basic one because everyone comes in i just promote them to member all the time anyway because we're just a friends and family guild there's no real structures just so you can chat with us at uh on the podcast so no real reason to have all these ranks the bank they're allowing you to set permissions to allow members to withdraw gold from the guild bank based on their rank which is definitely good i'm i'm a fo- i'm fond of being able to put restrictions because there have been issues and i remember talking with some of um some of the early guild leaders from like elder scrolls off the record and and some of the other guilds saying when you have an open guild such as friends and family guilds for podcasts people will join and take advantage they had issues where people would be coming in and just stealing stuff out of their guild bank and then dropping from the guild because there's no restriction um so it's definitely a good thing because i wouldn't want to put money in in a guild bank because people could just up and take it I really wish they would go a little further with this. It seems like they're only doing it with gold. 
but I would really like to see them put restrictions either by the tab up at the top, like blocking weapons, whatever, based on rank or whatever the case may be, or better yet, put restrictions on rarity. So, like, um, purple items, only so many, only people of this rank can actually withdraw purple items, or blue items, only people of this one can withdraw blue, or give a, a, a number going, okay, these, uh, these veteran members can all withdraw one purple and one blue a day. And that's it. You know, they need to have more in there for the items. I know we use our guild bank pretty much as a repository for provisioning mats because there's 9 billion of them in this game. Um, but, yeah, gold's a good start, but they could they could definitely do a little bit more. What do you think? I, I agree with the, the statement about the bank. I really do. I don't agree with the statement about the management. I think it seems really silly. Four should be enough. Four predetermined ranks should be plenty but with the bank um yeah definitely i i do agree with that next up store updates anyone in your alliance can browse your guild store in cyrodiil if you're guilt you know what i actually thought they could do this already so apparently this was they just implemented this because from the very start they said we were going to be able to do this and i guess they're just now getting around to implementing it um next up traders they're going to have kiosks throughout all the different cities. And apparently there's something like 130 approximately in every faction um, that are just kiosks that you'll be able to talk to and be able to view guild stores. And it's a blind bidding system. And somebody was, uh, they asked on Elder Scrolls off the record about how it's going to work. It is a free market system. So anyone, anyone in a guild can bid and take over any of if someone has so much money, they could, in theory, take over all 130. But, I mean, let's face it, that's that's a lot of lot of kiosk for one place, or for one guild store. But will you make back all that money? Who knows? Some people complained, is this fair for smaller guilds? Blah, blah, blah. Here's the thing. I'm going to tell you this. It doesn't matter if you're in a small guild or a large guild. Be in a large guild. Uh, we've been in large guilds. You know how helpful they are? They're not. Because, let's face it, in order for this to actually work, people are going to have to give of their gold to help, you know, like, uh, blind bid for this. So, you bid gold in hopes that you get the spot so you can sell more, so you're spending money. I find most MMO players as, as a whole are rather selfish, so being in a guild of 512 members, maybe less than 5% would actually donate money to you. I mean, really, unless you have a very, very loyal guild base, most won't. I would actually find most smaller guilds that are very cohesive would actually probably have more, a greater percentage of their of their player base actually submit money for the bidding. I think smaller guilds will actually probably have a greater chance because I know we're part of two different, um, two different large trading guilds. I wouldn't give them a darn cent if they asked me for it. I wouldn't, because I don't know anyone in there. I only use them to sell in their guild store. So I really don't think uh, these small guild people who are complaining have any right to complain. I think they just didn't think it through. It happens. Uh, do you have anything to say about the traders? I I don't really like it. I, I like 
right now how there's no large auction house it's all guild based mm -hmm. i think opening it up to your alliance it's it's gonna change way too much i think it's gonna change but i think it's gonna change for the good and this is why because guilds have a cap on them for the amount of people you can have in them blah 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 and this will allow people to go to the major cities, let's say Mournhold, and just walk around the different kiosk and shop. It's it's going to be easier. You're going to have a wider range. But at most, you're going to have 128 different guilds vying for, uh, vying for spots, okay? This is mega server wide. So 120... I can tell you right now there's more than 128 guilds in this game. There's probably... Oh my goodness, I wouldn't even want to barter to guess the number here of how many how many actual guilds there are in the game. But I think it will open the market up a little, but will provide some healthy competition that if you if you have an active guild market, perhaps you require a tax of your guildies going, hey, we're going for another couple of kiosks so we can all make money. Let's all donate X amount of gold so we can bid. If I were part of a crafting guild, I would definitely do that because I would know, even if I gave a thousand gold to bid, I could make more than that if a couple people... If you sell one epic piece of gear, or even one one tempering alloy would make you more than that thousand, so you come out ahead in the long run. And it saves you from having to stand in one of the towns hawking your wares going wanting to sell. And you can get out and play the game. It all depends. Go out and farm more so you can craft more. So you can put more on the guild store. And make more money. I mean, ask anyone in real business today. It costs money to make money. You have to put forth the initial investment. I think it'll be a good change. I really think it will. And it will give players a sense of pride when their market goes on for sale that everyone can see. You know what I mean? Um, I'm not. There we go. That was kind of weird. <laughs> I have to touch the mouse more. All right. Next up is Heraldry. I'm excited about this, even though the very first picture that I saw here, the guy's a wolf. All it makes me think of is House Stark. <laughs> yes. Um, there have been tabards and stuff like that from Dark Age of Camelot. They used to be on capes, not really tabards. I prefer capes to tabards, but modern games don't seem to really want to touch capes because of physics engines i'm sad about that and i'll tell you this one thing elder scrolls off the record they're not off the record my goodness i'm having issues tonight elder scrolls online already has issues with the way they design their character models and armor models because they did it for frame rate issues there's no way in creation they're ever going to do capes if they're worried about frame rate stuff now because adding capes and, and, and stuff like that would just eat up the uh, graphics processing. So, I'm saddened by this. I hope they change it, but I doubt they ever will. Just based on uh, interviews and stuff and how worried they are about frames per second and stuff of that nature. At least they look really good. Yeah, yeah, they do. There seems to be a lot of uh, different changes. And I know different games that we play, um, Dark Age Camelot has it. Uh, Final Fantasy XIV and Realm Reborn has a type of heraldry system. Uh, even though they let you put the heraldry on your armor, they don't really have tabards. But it, whatever free company you're in in that game, they allow you to create a guild crest 
and then you get to put it on your shields you get to put it on your armor it, it looks pretty neat and i'm excited they're doing something similar to this i have a feeling uh, a lot of guilds might have a um, at least smaller ones will have a i'm trying to think of the word a guild guild pattern guild colors if you will that all their members are in a certain color scheme and they wear the tabards they all match i've seen them do that i have can ours be pink no <sighs> that's not fair no we can all be pink rangers together no fine i'll just be pink no <laughs> moving on class builds and balance um i'd like to take the opportunity to repeat an important point, we will make class balance changes very slowly, except for those Dragon Knights, because they can have a big impact on your play experience. We're making changes carefully, but we're always watching feedback about balance concerns. Recently, we've adjusted stamina builds, not enough, to help them become more competitive by making medium armor reduce the cost of stamina abilities and by improving the damage for several stamina-based abilities. Again, Zenimax, if you're ever listening, that's not going to fix the problem until you remove the abilities, uh, dodge, block, and um, CC break. They need to have their own resource because right now we are quadruple dripping or dipping here into the stamina pool if you're a stamina user. So it's not good for uh, stamina users in this game. Magicka users can just sit there and dodge all day because they don't use their stamina for anything. But, you know, we're using them to actually do damage, so until you change that, we're gonna be broken forever, forever. Get that through your heads. Okay, in update three, ultimate abilities will scale from weapon damage or spell damage. Whichever one benefits you the most. We'll continue to make incremental changes to address balance issues. It is important to note that from now on, whenever we introduce a major change to a skill line, we will be offering a free respect to players who have invested points in that line. Well, that's good, considering now it's very expensive. Here are some other uh, character and ability topics we're looking at for potential balance changes and tweaks. The survivability of werewolves and the balance between their strengths and weaknesses may receive some adjustments. The effectiveness of Templars are being evaluated, particularly specific builds that may be underperforming when compared to similar builds of other classes, aka anything other than a healing role. Our previous changes to Dragon Knight class are undergoing review to ensure the class is fun to play and still feels powerful. They are still OP, don't worry Zoss, you're good. We continue, or we are continuing to make adjustments to the Nightblade, we believe that what we've done so far has helped, but there may be more on the way. Face, what do you think about any of that? I think that the Dragon Knights need to be nerfed just a little bit more. They, they, they really kind of do. Um, the werewolves, after seeing you mess around with your werewolf a little bit, I really agree that they need to be changed. It took you forever to build your ultimate, and then when you finally did use it, it, it was gone in, in seconds. It just, it wasn't enough. It was not enough. And if, I feel like if it was changed to made to, to be better, you might have actually stuck with it. No. 
No? Okay. All right, well. On another character, maybe I'll keep it, but no. No? Okay. My Templar is a holy warrior. Okay. 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 I'm not sure if I understand what they're saying about the effectiveness of Templars, because... You already seem to be doing very well. You you blow me out of the out of the water. It's just what that might be the case, my love. But other people in the guild who've been doing trials and stuff, I don't touch in damage. So I don't know if that just means you're terabad. <laughs> I, I am terabad. Other when it comes than heal, yeah, yeah. You're like, yeah, I blow you out of the water when it comes to DPS, but Kipster in the guild blows me out of the water by like huge amounts. I'm sitting there going like, oh look, I did 249 DPS a second. And I, after, I'm gonna delve a little bit into our personal story time here to to prove my point. With the Templars delving into stamina for dodge this, this, and this. I, I can actually see that they need to move those abilities somewhere else and out of stamina. In one of the dungeons that we got our butts whooped in, by the way, you died more often than me. And I think I noticed why. When we had to run around, I was using sprints. And I was able to avoid things more effectively. You couldn't. Because your stamina has to be reserved for everything else. Now that, to me does not seem fair. It really doesn't. You should be able to sprint as much as as I do or anyone else without you being underpowered because your your stamina has to be used elsewhere. Mm -hmm. So after that dungeon, I got to see what you were really talking about because you were just dying left and right. I think I resed you, I don't know, like six or seven times, but that's because I could sprint. You couldn't. So I, I, I see what you mean now by that. They need to have a defensive resource. That's another bar. It can be a set number. I don't even care. It could be, it could be raised. I don't even... But they need to have another bar that handles all of that. Dodges, sprinting. Um, even even You know what? Sprinting should have its own little bar underneath like the horses do, where they have their stamina bar. Something along those lines, just so that we have other ways of actually, I don't know. You know, that's a perfect example. That would be another resource. Have a second bar under each one, health, uh, stamina, and um, magicka, and make each one do something. Such as, anytime you need to um, CC break, make it use out of that extra magicka bar. Anytime you need to block or parry... Do it out of your health bar, and anytime you need to sprint or dodge, do it out of that extra bar of stamina, like the horses. That that, with, that way they don't have to break the Elder Scrolls um, mythos, if you will, by adding another stat that's different than the health stamina map. Just add that second bar, like the horses have. That's a good point. Yeah. Um. Okay. Anything else before we move on? Uh, no, I'm good. All right. Next up on the Road Ahead article, itemization and rewards. One of the most fun reasons to play games like ESO is to obtain cool weapons, armor, and other gear through the course of your adventures. We've been closely following commentary about how, at some points in the game, it feels like you aren't being rewarded adequately for the amount of effort you put in. 
I've already talked about how we're looking to alleviate this at veteran ranks, but it also applies to some sections of the 1 to 50 experience. We've seen feedback that there isn't enough... Differentiation? Oh, dear heaven. There's not enough different types of armor and appearances, especially as you adventure from moment to moment, and that the items you find are not substantially better than the ones you already have, leading to a feeling of incremental gain, but never something exciting or momentous. Armor dies will be in the game as part of update 3. We help uh, will help by giving you the ability to customize your gear colors to your taste. No pink rangers. But we're also going to introduce some new itemization features over the next couple of updates. Before I read this, Zoss, if you're listening, the hot pink dye needs to be tied to the achievement for killing spiders in the veteran dungeons. Okay? All right. That's so not fair. That's what it needs to be. All right. New armor sets that are visually distinct from others. A new system that makes it easier to find and find complete sets in game. Item rewards will be handed out in a more logical fashion by quest and enemy drops. Stay tuned to future patch notes to see how itemization and rewards evolve over the next few updates. Anything on... I all I have to say is I really hope that there is no die that's tied to killing spideys because I'll never be able to get it. That's right. That's why we want it. Combat. We've been working steadily behind the scenes to make combat more fun and visceral. This is a multi-pronged effort uh, to tweak and fix dozens of different game systems to lead to a smoother, more responsive combat system. Well, that's exciting because I already find it quite responsive and it's a lot of fun similar to how we're making changes to the veteran system we'll be making meaningful changes over time we're making changes to animations audio timing server network optimization that's a big one and other factors to make combat more engaging final fantasy 14 needs to take note from this we'll see uh we'll show off some of these new combat enhancements at quakecon to demonstrate the evolution of combat system has made over the last few months cool fun with armor dies update three will be on the pts soon bringing with it a lot of fun new character and guild customization features this update has been in eternal testing at zas for many weeks now and as part of that effort we had a studio-wide contest to see who could use the new die system to come up with the coolest or most horrendous outfit Check out some of the screenshots from the contest. It was a lot of fun, and it shows the lengths to which you can change your character. Uh, the lengths to which you can change what your character looks like just by applying different colors. All right, so looking at these screenshots, I see Scorpion from Mortal Kombat. I see Iron Man. Um, I don't know, some purple cat man. Cat man. And Wonder Woman. Look, there's Wonder Woman. Is that what it's supposed to be? Yeah, Wonder Woman. That's interesting. I I don't I don't even know. Not sure. Some blue rain. Oh, that might be Captain America. (laughs) That could be Captain America. I can see that. Green Lantern. (laughs) I was thinking Poison Ivy. Oh, it could be Poison Ivy. All right, I I agree with that. Captain America. Yeah, this one, the Wonder Woman one, looks the best for trying to look like Wonder Woman. You know, Iron Man looks kind of interesting too. Albeit, the one thing I kind of note off this, that kind of looks like Dwemer armor. Do you see that? The ancient elf? 
Is that ancient elf? This is an ancient elf because of this. It looks different here. It, like this side looks different, but also the face mask. I'm not really sure. We want Dwemer. All right. Thanks for reading. As you can see, there are a lot of changes coming to ESO based on your feedback. As we roll them out, we'll be listening to what you have to say, and we hope you'll enjoy everything we planned for you. See you in Tamriel. I got to say, like, a lot of the stuff that they've been doing, like, they, they have really been listening as a, as a um, company. As a company. And have been doing a lot of amazing stuff with the game so far for the game just being very new. I agree. Okay. <laughs> that is my co-host, one who always backs me up with witty, witty repertoire of comments. Well, you call me off guard. Now I actually have a response. Okay. I thoroughly enjoy that they listen as well as they do. It's it's something that you don't see very often, but that other companies are starting to take a part in. They're starting to let you know what they're doing, what they're thinking. I know, I'm talking to you, not the mic. I'm sorry. It's, it's, it's now I don't remember what I was saying. I, yes, I like that they listen. Good. Listen. Good. I agree. <laughs> How does it feel? Not good. Not good, bro. <laughs> All right, next up on the list, another one of their community programs, the Guild Spotlight. 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 Oh my goodness gracious. All right. How long have you been speaking the English language? Not very long, apparently. All right. It is looks like another German guild. It means Thunderbolt. I would not know where to begin to pronounce it. Donnerkiel? Yeah, probably. Maybe? Yep, 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 yep. Anyway, if you want to check them out, I'm not even going to go into this one too much because they're on the EU Mega Server, naturally, because I imagine they're German. Yes, they are German, see? The dot D-E. Well, it says right there, so far we're all German speakers. Did they use Google Translate for this? No, I'm pretty sure they have translators. Oh. Uh, I don't agree. Anyway, if you feel like checking out, if you're part of the German community out there, you can check them out on the official Elder Scrolls online page. For their guild spotlight for... What is it now? Uh, you want me to try and pronounce it again? Yes. Oh, it's going to be... Please, anyone who's a German speaker, don't be too angry with me. But the way it looks is Donnerkiel. Okay, good enough. Check them out on the official website today. All right. Moving on to the very next part. Update 3 preview video. And it looks fantastic. Anything else on it? I'm very excited for it. Okay. Okay. Uh, it, it, it's pretty neat. Just gives us a little bit of a preview about what is in there in a kind of a cinematic form. What was the little flappy arms for? Because this is so much fun. Okay. <laughs> okay. Anyway, it just kind of goes over in a neat little video about introducing the armor die system, guild tabards, public stores. They're adding a new difficulty mode to trials. Hopefully it is actually difficult. And plenty of fixes and improvements. So check it out. It is uh, a two-minute video. It is definitely worth the watch. It was entertaining. And I love the song that's on it. It's uh, Weapons Drawn from the Elder Scrolls Online soundtrack. I agree. Okay, we're on that one then. Okay. Moving on to the next bit of news. Patch 1.3.0, which is update three, everyone. 
is now on the PTS, and it is amazing. The overview, you want to read the overview? Sure. Go ahead. Welcome to the Elder Scrolls Online version 1.3.0, our third major content update. In this update, we've added armor die stations where you can change the color of your armor with dies you unlock through achievements. We've also added and improved many guild features, including the addition of guild heraldry, guild traders, and improved guild management. Another exciting change is the updates to our campaigns in Cyrodiil. Yay! We've implemented new campaign options, each with their own rule set. We'd love to get your feedback on these new options. Alongside these new features, you'll find many fixes to quests, combat, art, and audio. We're also continuing to work on the overall class balance, but are doing so carefully so as not to impact your build too much. We're looking forward to your feedback with all these new features and updates, and can't wait to see what you think. Enjoy the rest of the update. All right, big changes, updates, and new features. Armor dies. Um... Yeah, let's go through it. Armor dies have now been added to the game. You can visit a die station and interact with it to die any piece of armor that you own. Die stations can be found in at least one town in every normal overworld zone. There are new map markers added for these die station locations. Every piece of gear has up to three separate areas that can be dyed individually, and you have the tools available to do so. Color sets. You can use the special dye tools to create and apply custom color sets. The eyedropper tool. You can use this eyedropper tool to pick colors from previously dyed gears and apply them or apply that color elsewhere. The paint bucket tool. This tool applies the dye you've selected to the corresponding color area of every piece of gear you have equipped. At a dye station, you can see every color available. Dyes you haven't obtained yet are displayed with a lock icon. However, or hover over any locked color to see what achievement is associated with it. So when you hover over that pink one, it's going to be the killing spiders. You can right-click on it to jump to that achievement panel and read the achievement's completion criteria. When a die is unlocked, it will be available for all characters on your account. Woo, nice. Indeed. Uh... New and improved guild features. The improved guild management. Guild leaders can now create, delete, and reorder the guild ranks. Um, Hold, left click, and drag to arrange guild ranks. This can be done on the list itself. Guild leaders can also assign unique icons for each rank. Guilds can have up to 10 ranks, including the guild master rank. Each guild rank has its own set of permissions. When creating a new guild rank... You can clone the permissions of a previously existing one. That's actually kind of neat. Of course, they have guild heraldry. This feature unlocks once a guild has reached 10 members. Guild leaders can design a heraldry that will appear on equipable tabards. Customization of your heraldry costs a fee in gold that is automatically deducted from your guild's bank. To modify the guild's heraldry, guild leaders can click the heraldry tab on the guild window, displayed before the history tab. And we talked about this one already before, about 250 colors, uh, 60 backgrounds, 136 uh, crest. Um, The rest of the note, they talk about the guild traders, and they also have some Alliance War updates about new campaigns. So one thing that's kind of neat is they are changing the way campaigns are done in this one, where now there are both veteran rank and non-veteran rank. 
um, campaigns as well as the standard campaigns that anyone can join. I'm really liking this. And oh, and when patch 1.3 goes live, you're given a free home campaign assignment to each character previously assigned to a campaign. So we'll be able to change then. Um, yeah, so that's it. Oh, and they've changed it now that switching campaigns home or guest will now have a three day lockout timer associated with it. Um, instant weapon swap. We made changes to the way we cache textures for your alternate weapon. That will allow you to swap weapons readily and instantly. Reliably. Reliably. The previous delay uh, when swapping has been reduced significantly, so swapping to your second weapon set will be seamless and fast, making combat feel more responsive. That's pretty good. I never noticed that delay, I guess. See, to me, it feels natural for you to wait half a second for you to pull it out. Mm -hmm. Because if you're searching in your bag, it's, you know, you're going to have to pull it out from somewhere well i know well i felt this during our uh the one dungeon we were running because i had two different weapons set i'd be ranged when i was outside and i was melee inside the portal there was definitely a delay when i got sucked back into the portal to go hitting the button so i I do notice the delay now this one's gonna be fun color correction brightness contrast and color curves throughout the game are now adjusted via post-processing in some locations, the effect will be subtle, but it will be more noticeable in others. We've done this to improve the visual quality of the game by increasing contrast in scenes, balancing overall color values, and reducing the influence of yellow in the sunlight and interior lighting. You'll notice more color depth and a more realistic look in the world. We don't anticipate these changes having any effect on performance, since we are already making a post-processing pass but you can disable color correction by setting the color underscore, underscore correction value and the user settings file to zero. Check out these screenshots showing the new color correction versus the old version. They look absolutely gorgeous. They really, really do. Um, I'm assuming it's new and then old. Yeah, it, it definitely looks really good. It really. looks crisper. Mm, yes, yes. Um, armor colors and tints adjusted. To prepare for our dye system, we've reevaluated the color palette we use for armor and have made some adjustments to how colors are displayed on gear throughout the game. This gives us more flexibility to add new armor sets and crafting materials, provide some more saturated colors, and will make upgrades consistently look more significant. The Thank goodness. The upgrade may alter the original flavors on armor you already own, but you'll be able to choose your own color schemes with the die system should you dislike the changes. Where did you get flavor in that sentence? Where, where did I say flavor? I, I think you meant to say color, and you said flavor. Uh, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Difficult mode. We added a new and optional difficulty mode for the final fight in a Therian Archive and Helra Citadel. Look for clues near each celestial to find out how to trigger this new mode. Ooh, that's fun. When you complete the difficult version of a trial, you will be rewarded with a piece of armor from an upgraded version of the mage, serpent, or warrior item sets, which contain better stats and visuals. The colors in this set are exclusive to this armor and cannot be duplicated with dyes. 
I'm just hoping it's actually difficult because they spouted how difficult trials were going to be and they are a cakewalk. Veteran, veteran ranked dungeons for four men are more difficult. Like the veteran one dungeons, people have been saying are way more difficult than trials. So try again, Zoss. I know you tried to be a little different with your raids, but I'm going to be very frank with you. Your raids suck. They suck bad. You know, I know you try to break from the mold and stuff like that, but it's you're not doing a good job with your raid content. Your veteran dungeons are a blast to play, but your raid content is pathetic. And if you hope to keep your uh, hardcore PvE people who like to raid, you better step up your game. I'm just being honest. And anyone who's actually really likes competitive stuff will agree with will agree with me that it is it is a pathetic attempt at what should have been you know raid content in this game okay moving on delve updates in cold harbor the delves found in cold harbor are now larger contain more monsters and loot this is an ongoing effort to make all delves in the game larger thank goodness definitely and then there's a lot of fixes and improvements that we're not going to go over uh, because, well, they're just like bug fixes. So if you're interested in checking it out, you can either find it on the official Elder Scrolls Online forums. Artiso Elite has a uh, nice write-up. But one of the things I did actually want to point out is they're adding new emotes um, to the game. And one of them I thought was kind of cool is they're adding slash dance emotes with a race name. So now you should be able to do any race dance on any character by typing slash dance and then the name of the uh race you want to do it such as slash dance nord so be dance nord one word or dance orc or dance red guard kind of neat i like it okay anything you want to say on these uh pts notes before we move on i agree oh i mean no i'm good all right we're back to the i agrees i see all right Moving on, next bit of news is the Adventure Handbook issue number five. And this week, they, um, well, this is another one of their community programs where they go out on the web and try to find a bunch of different uh, guides and stuff that players have written. Um, Let's see here. (laughs) Our first link takes us to the official ESO forms where C-O-U-S-T, that's what his name is, has been compiling a great list of places where you can find familiar, mysterious Khajiit throughout Tamriel. If you're hunting down the achievement, this could help you track down the wily feline. Yes. Do you have a favorite... Oh my goodness. Haunt. Haunt. There you go. Do you have a favorite haunt of his that isn't listed? Post it in the thread to share your knowledge. Tell Mayik we said hi. Next, we dive into Reddit, where there are some excellent educational discussions going on every week. Whether you... I disagree with that, Zoss. There's nothing excellent or educational in any discussion on Reddit. Whether you want to talk shop about theory crafting and builds, crafting strategies, or you just want to ask a couple questions, they've got some great weekly topics. Check out the recent Theory Craft Tuesday, Mages Guild Monday, and Workshop Wednesday. This is how I feel about Reddit. Reddit is essentially 4chan with a condom on. That's it. That's the only difference. That's it. 
Yes. Okay. <laughs> Our last link today is a resource every player should know about, ESOhead.com. They have a little bit of everything from links to additional game resources to a skill calculator and information about nearly every item, enemy, and skill in the game. And much more is a great place to find that bit of info you're looking for. I do like their um, their class builder, their uh, skill calculator. I use that a lot. So those are our articles today. And uh, remember to send your favorite guides and happy adventuring. So if you're interested in checking those out, they're on the official Elder Scrolls Online page under their community programs. That's the Adventures Handbook issue number five. Next up, and the last piece of <coughs> excuse me, last piece of news we have for this week is the future of ESO panel. Um, we talked about it a little bit at um, in early on, and they are going to have this panel at QuakeCon, and it includes. Let's see here. Well, before we get into that, the panel will begin at 5 p.m. Central Daylight Time on Friday, July 18th. Uh, Game Director Matt Fire will introduce the panel, and he will be present for the Q&A. Here are speakers, the topics you can expect them to cover, and the order in which they will present. First up is lead content designer Rich Lambert. He's going to be talking about the veteran City of Ash dungeon. Ooh. Region 3 of Craglorn, dungeon replayability, and grouping improvements. Lead PvP designer Brian Wheeler will be talking about the Imperial City. Ooh. Lead client programmer Jesse uh, McIntyre will be talking about facial animations. I have actually heard a lot of people complain about the faces of the NPCs. Well, that's probably because the jaw gets offset sometimes, and it looks like they have a broken jaw. It's kind of funny. Creative director Paul Sage will be discussing the champion system and the justice system. Ooh, this is what I'm excited about. Lead gameplay designer Nick Conkle will be talking spellcrafting. Art director Jared Carr will be talking about combat responsiveness and new PvE content. The Q&A session will follow immediately after the presentation and all panelists will answer questions until we're out of time. The panel is only part of the fun we planned at the show, so check out our detailed QuakeCon article to make sure you don't miss anything. See you at the show. Um, I'm definitely going to be trying to watch this. It's Friday at 6 o'clock Eastern Daylight Time, so I'm going to try to watch that entire thing on their Twitch channel. So, <laughs> If our um, computers want to cooperate uh, and run Twitch. Yeah, no, our computers hate Twitch. I don't know what it is, but I'll just pull it out on my phone. I'll watch it over the Verizon network for all I care. All right, that ends our news section for this week, and we're going to move on to the next section, which is our discussion topic. Now, on Thursday, July 10th, our friends over at Elder Scrolls Off the Record had creative director Paul Sage from Zoss appear on the show, and he dropped some massive bombs about future updates, and I took some notes from their interview that I really wanted to go over. First up, coming in Update 4, they announced the Dragon Star Arena where a group of four go into this and the enemies come out in waves. He said that it is actually very difficult content and none of their development team has beaten it yet. So, this is going to be similar to Trials. I think it's going to be a timed, but for four person. Um, What do you think, Faze? Oh, I'm so excited. I, I enjoy difficult content very much. Which, which we'll talk about in our, in our story section. I'm mm-hmm. so excited to get there. 
So this, to me, will, will probably have me banging my head against my desk and, you know, tossing Khajiit across the room, because we have a lot of them. So I, I'm, I'm hoping this is as difficult as they say. I really do. Yeah, I... I'm gonna I'm gonna have to get back to you on that one because so far they don't really have a track record. When they say something's difficult, it 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 doesn't seem to be very difficult. Um, that being said, I guess I should take that back because the veteran crypt of hearts is very difficult from what I hear. We haven't even done that. That's the VR12 one. So they seem to make very hard four man content, but the large scale PVE content is a joke. So I'm really excited for that, and we'll. Ex- it'll be nice to have something smaller for smaller groups of people to be able to participate in. Next up is the PvP uh, dev teams are working on the Imperial City PvP dungeon, and I actually have in parentheses here Darkness Falls because uh, Matt Fire and I. I don't think well, it was Paul Sage. I don't remember. Matt Fire was part of Dark Age of Camelot. And that's where Darkness Falls came in. It was one of my favorite PvP dungeons, and it fits perfectly with this, that whoever controlled enough keeps on the frontiers in Dark Age of Camelot opened up access to this PvP dungeon, where you would be able to go, and it was PvE content, but the people who were in it before weren't kicked out. They can't enter new people. Like, new people can't go in because their entrances are locked off. But uh, I know people who would make, like, rogue characters and stealth and and make characters to hide in Darkness Falls and wait till they lost it, and then they would go in and gank the people trying to do the PvE encounters. I'm excited for it. I really am. It should be... It should actually bring back a lot of nostalgia from Darkness Falls, because Darkness Falls was a very kind of dark... It was full of demons. It was kind of creepy experience. Um, and... I think they'll be able to recreate it with all the, you know, the Daedra and everything of that nature. I think it'll be really cool. What do you think? I think Deltia is going to have a a lot of fun with this. And I'm kind of scared that if we try it, he's going to be looking for my Pink Ranger suit. So I'll probably die a lot. I, I In combination with the new Cyrodiil campaigns, I'm really looking forward to, to really diving into Cyrodiil and trying this out. Indeed, I'm I'm excited. Next up, changes to the VR, uh, changes to VR points with just experience points for VR level. And we talked about that a little bit where they're changing the way that we no longer need veteran rank experience. We'll just use standard experience from our leveling, uh, leveling to actually gain points in the new system. Now, the new system that's going to be replacing the veteran system is known as the champion system. And as you're leveling up, you'll be able to put the champion points into passive benefits to improve your character. So it's a lot like the um, the Paragon system in Diablo 3 or the Augment system or Attunement system in Rift. Remember how as you were leveling up, you could put those extra points in that little grid to get just little benefits to actual crit, you know, however you wanted your character to focus, you could do that, and it's going to be a lot like that. What do you think about the champion system? I, I'm sad they're getting rid of the veteran system. I, I think that they really could have done something different and better with it. 
Um, Paul Sage did say the veteran ranks are remaining, however. So, but as you level them up, you will, you will actually, this is part of their making it beneficial that when you level up, you get champion points to do a further augmentation of your character through this alternate advancement. So it's more of a augmentation rather than a complete removal. Then, in that case, I'm a little confused, and um, I, I can't wait to see how it actually works. I hope that with this system, my my DPS might be able to uh, improve a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you'll be able to augment your character um, any way that you really want, whether you want DPS, survivability, anything like that. And uh, one of the neat things is as you're earning these um, champion ranks, it is account-wide. So once you've earned a champion rank or champion points, they're available to all your other characters. Now, given only level 50 characters can use or earn champion points, but it does benefit all characters. So say you're on your, um, your highest level character and you earned, I don't know, five champion points. When your other characters are leveled to 50 they will already have five available to use so it it, it'll be a way that i guess alts won't feel as much of a grind to level because i can tell a lot of people were saying with uh how the current veteran rank system was they didn't even want to level an alt because of how long it took to actually level a main it you know all that work to go into it yeah i'm fine with that because i don't care for alts um Oh, I already said that one. Um, the last bit of news that's kind of really neat that I wanted to highlight is they're going to be adding new gear sets into the game. And the coolest thing about these gear sets is that they're going to be released in seasons, almost like new tiers of gear, um, like rating tiers. So when these seasons are out, the most current season is going to be very rare and very hard to get. But it's not going to be tied to veteran ranks like the old gear was. But now, like I said, it'll be in season. So we'll say season one is here and season two is available. Season one will be very common, similar to how uh, another MMO, um, Final Fantasy A Realm Reborn, does their stuff that when the new raid tier comes out, you know how they change the philosophy tomes to mythology tomes? That's what they're doing with this. Season one will be very readily available, so it's kind of easy for you to catch up. Season 2 gear will be much harder to acquire. It'll be rare. It'll be much harder to get. So when you get it, it will have better stats, better upgrades. It'll just be a better, it'll be a full upgrade piece of gear, but it'll be much harder to get. But the previous, that way, if you go away from the game and come back um, for after a little while, it won't, you won't have to go through all these different seasons. You just start with the latest season. So like if you stopped at season 1 and come back at season 7, you won't be stuck with season one gear for long because season six gear will be very readily available for you to acquire and get yourself up to a power level that you can do the content that you want to do to acquire the season seven gear. What do you think about with that? I'm just hoping with the, the new gear that they not necessarily update the way it looks, but I just, I want different gear. All of it looks the same, which was said previously in the show, that all gear, to me, they just, they're boring, they look the same. 
it's time for different variations in the way gear looks. That's all I'm really hoping for. I'm not even looking. Well, I want them to do better gear in general. Now, they did answer one question that I had, which was asking whether or not they would be changing the way armor is portrayed. Because right now it's very two-dimensional, if you will. It looks painted on, and it doesn't connect well. Like, certain armor, the the elbow pads are floating off in space. The knee pads are floating off in space. You When you run, the... Uh, the pieces of armor on your hips float in space like they're not even attached to you. Um, the armor doesn't look very thick, even when wearing plate mail armor, because they didn't do multiple layers. They didn't they didn't change how the modeling was done. And unfortunately, Paul Sage said because they're having issues with frame rates as it is, that's why they had to make certain concessions to how gear was designed to maintain those frame rates. Now, he did say they are planning on improving the way it is it is designed, and there are going to be visual updates coming in the near future, but probably not to the extent that I or you are hoping for to make it look more like, you know, like when you're wearing plate mail, that the different plates are actual plates of metal and not just, you know, body paint. I don't know. We'll have to see, but I was kind of disappointed with that, that there will be no changes to the armor to make it look less painted on. Very sad indeed. Anything else you want to talk on before we move on to our uh, tail section? Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm ready for the tail section. All right. We're moving on to the next section of our podcast, the Tales of Tamriel, where we talk about um, our adventures throughout Tamriel. Um, I did not have any Twitter responses for this week, only because I forgot to post it. So that's my fault. Um, so let's talk a little bit about our character changes. Um, Thace, go ahead. There's nothing that I remember that I did differently this week. I, I've just been kind of, I've been trying to level my destruction staff. So as we've been working on our, our VR contents, I've been trying to stay away from my healing staff which is scary, because whenever my health drops, I'm afraid you're not going to heal me. But I've been trying. Uh, other than that, everything has been the same since last week. I haven't... I don't think I've gotten any new skills. I've just been leveling the ones that I opened up last week. Right, right. Um, I can tell you, for me, I'm still, still leveling my light and medium armor is going very slowly but i'm getting very close i think my medium armor hit 43 or 44 and my um light armor is 45 um getting close on the bow finishing off that bow uh, i don't like the bow anymore i want to actually switch it off to um destruction staff because i can't play the elder staves online without a you know, staff. However, I will say this one thing. The one ability, I did get a new ability on my bow called Snipe. It was the highest level ability. I don't like it. It's a two second cast time. It's supposed to do like 400 and some odd damage to a character, which is like twice as much as any of the other abilities. But it costs so much stamina and takes so long to cast. I don't see it as being all that useful in PvE content. It, I can fire off um, two different arrow or uh venom sprays or poison spray arrows 
which does uh, about half the damage for half the cost, plus it puts a dot on the enemy. In the end, I'll get off two shots and do more damage for the same amount of stamina, and I'm not sitting there for two seconds with an idle cast time. I just was not fond of the snipe ability. Again, it may be better if you had more passives in bow. I don't have many at all, because I'm just trying to level it up. Um, but, uh, yeah. Now, before you say anything, Thaise, I'm trying to level up all of my skills to 50, so that way I can play with them later, you know, get them to 50 so they're max, and then I'm going to respec and put everything the way that I have my character build later. So that's why I don't have a lot of passives. I'm just leveling with it. Don't give me the eye daggers over there. Um, okay, well, that's about it for our character progression, other than our alts, which we didn't really touch our uh, Dragonite and Templar this week. We didn't have as much time. We spent a lot of time on our Templars, Templar, uh, Templar, Sorcerer. Templar Sorcerer this week. And we actually started um, on the Isle of Betany. I refuse to call it Betnik or whatever the orcs call it. It was the Isle of Betany before the stupid Thunder Seamount orcs or whatever they are took over it. So the Isle of Betany is where we were. And um, yeah. So go ahead and let's, let's talk a little bit about where we start first. We started heading to the southern part of the island on a vision quest remember how we had to go down and uh track track what was going on with the land we we had to touch a shaman's staff shaman shaman shut up we had to touch a shaman's staff that had been a part of this island for a long time and what the staff did was it collected the memories and the feelings of the island good ones, bad ones, and we were using it to try and find out what the... What were they? They were the cultists. Um... I forget what the name of the cultists were now. But they were they were cultists that were all on this island, and they were, they were doing bad. They were disrupting the orcs, even though I have now discovered that I do not like the orcs. So we had to figure out what was going on there. So we had to go to two different places. I think it was north, south, and west think might be wrong i'm not sure but we had to go to each one of them and and touch something call up something and we got to see a ghostly scene play out in front of us and it was it was really really neat to be able to kind of see what had happened in the past because two of the scenes didn't really have anything to do with the cult but you still i think you're thinking the wrong quest that, that was a spirit quest, um, but we're actually referring to the one where you had to go down and uh, they stole the books and they were trying to get into the spirit realm. So we would stop at each spot and a new scene would play out, but it was always the same guy. We'd follow the rogue across the bridge. Oh, yeah, it's totally not the one I'm talking about. No, it's okay, not. Okay, well then you go ahead. You go ahead. Oh, well that one was kind of boring. <laughs> no, oh, okay. But we snuck into there. It was kind of neat because we were sneaking in. We actually did this uh, the vision quest to see what what was happening, why the cultists were there. And uh, the warlord of the island told the orcs they weren't allowed to go out and fight them. So they kind of got us to do it. Now, we went out there. I, I love the island. It's gorgeous. And we're sneaking around. And, of course, you're... Uh, we got a little bit of help from your your crush. What's his name? Oh, Yakarn. Yeah. 
Yeah, he just he hops in to help us. It was kind of neat because when we went in, we had to stop them from trying to find a way of getting into the spirit world. So we went into their lair and we were trying to hunt down the guy. And it's kind of neat because your little Breton Road guy is following us around everywhere, just giving us off-color comments every three seconds. It was pretty funny. I love him so much. Indeed. <laughs> As with all the other stories... Um, you're, you're following, essentially, the crew that we got from Stros Mackay. Um, all the different guys are there, and they help us out throughout the journey. Now, another note, after we went through and, and uh, found out that he managed to make it into the spirit world, um, he told us to leave and go back to the Yorkshire and tell them what we found and what they were planning. But on the way out, it's really funny, because your little Breton rogue stopped and said, you guys go on ahead. I have to, you know... I." These cultists need stolen from. So he just went back and was robbing their headquarters. It was kind of funny. But we went out there and we talked to her, uh, the orc shaman, shaman, and started going back around the island a little bit more. What was really funny is we were just kind of adventuring off and off to the uh, west of the island. And we managed to go into this one section that was covered with spiders. And you were not paying attention at all. So she wasn't freaked out because she wasn't even really paying attention. I forget what she was doing. What were you, like, talking on the, not talking on the phone. You're doing something. I was typing in guild chat. You were typing in guild chat. So those who were tight talking to her in guild chat distracted her enough that she really wasn't sure what it was she was fighting. So on the way out, as we were getting ready to walk out, I'm like, you do realize those were webs and spiders. And she just stops, turns around, looks, she's like, oh my goodness, I'm so glad that we're out of here. It was, it was funny. It was definitely funny. I'm glad it took me that long to uh, to realize where we were, because I would not have been able to adventure uh, with Ag. <laughs> now, there was one other thing that I wanted to mention before we move on to the actual other part of our of our journey. We found um, tell us a little bit about why you don't like orcs anymore. Oh, okay. So the island originally started out as Bethany, and it was a Breton island. Well, these Seamount warrior clan, they were they were on the sea of, of orcs. They found this island, and they just attacked it. They, they, they attacked it, and their reasoning is absolutely ridiculous. And as you're going through the storyline on, on Betznik, you find out that you're, you're, you're talking to ghosts who were alive when it was still Betany. And you find out what the orcs did to all these people. Now, I don't like the orcs because I, I, I feel like the rules that are set to them by their Daedric god, who is... They call him Mal- Mal- Malakath? Malak is what they call him now, but he's Malakath. Malakath. Now, I could actually agree with Malakath's teachings. That you're not supposed to... You don't steal. You... What was it? You can take things or attack things as long as you have a reason. Yep. And then there were there were two more. Can't remember what those are. But it sounds like that it'd be an okay god to to follow, you know. But these orcs went onto this island and just started slaughtering all these Bretons for no good reason. They walked on this island and they liked that they that there was there was fertile ground. There was a lot of or to harvest, and it was pretty. So because of those three things, this, this, this one orc chief's 
wives all said, hey, we should just settle here. So they went and they killed tons and tons of Bretons for no good reason. Now, we disagree on what a good reason is, because to me that was a good reason, because they wanted new land and everything of that nature, and um, they were very honorable in their fight. Like, they they um, wouldn't kill anyone that had surrendered, and anyone that surrendered, they were given the option of exile or death. So they were to leave the island and never return, or they would be killed there. But if they surrendered, they didn't they didn't um, kill them. Now, in the one quest, you were killing prisoners. But as the guy says with Malakath, is if they truly surrendered, they wouldn't be, um, they shouldn't be still trying to aid their false king. Uh, um, and if that they don't answer your questions, they're still aiding him and haven't truly surrendered and to kill them. Which is honest. I would say yes. <sighs> no. And the orcs were honorable. I liked them. I actually like them a lot now, more than I did before. How is that honorable? To walk onto an island that is owned by other people who is not trying to attack you and just declare war for selfish reasons? Well, like, technic- that's not a good reason. No, 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 no. Because what, what do you think the uh, Bretons did with uh, Orsinium? They sacked Orsinium like twice and just destroyed it. Well, for good reason, probably. For good, no, there's orcs, no good reason. Orcs are savage. The entire time we were on that island, the orcs kept saying that, oh, we're not savages, we're not savages. But that, to me, them taking over Bettany, that was savage behavior. So I think that the Bretons destroying Orsinium was probably justified in some way. No, definitely not. You know what? That's okay. We can, we can agree to disagree, but I still love my Argonians. Yeah, no, the Argonians are worse. I like the orcs. Wow. Okay. All right. Now, that kind of pretty much ended our our um, our duoing in the VR zones for this week. But we also did something else this week that was a lot of fun. Um, randomly in guild chat, I just announced out cause I saw our, our friend Kipster, AKA Rent-A-Kip was online and I'm like, you know what? Let's do a veteran dungeon cause we've not done them yet. So it would have been our first veteran dungeon. And we are only VR rank one. Yeah. So Kipster jumped at this going, yes, absolutely. Let's do it. And we actually grabbed another one of our friends, uh, Arcaneer from the guild and the four of us went and did two different veteran dungeons. We did Banished Cells first, and then we did Fungal Grotto. And oh my goodness, that was probably one of the most fun I've had playing Elder Scrolls Online since it's come out. Like, the that content is an amazing level of difficult. I love it. All right, stop. All right, go ahead. Okay, uh, it, it, the first dungeon... The Banished Cells was amazing. It was a good difficulty. It wasn't frustrating. It didn't make me want to, like, punch Ag repeatedly in the face. It was it was nice. It was it was good. We still wiped several times on uh, the final boss in Banished Cells with the Daedric Curse and everything. We did. We did. But it was easy to, to learn and pick up. Like, we just had to move around more. You, you glitched a bit. 
Which was oh. really funny. Yeah, I glitched at one point because the final boss in Banished Cells, one of the things he does is he randomly selects a player, puts them in a bubble, and throws them up in the air. Well, I had a Daedric curse on me or, or he was hitting me or something. I forget what it was, but my health was ticking down because I don't think I cured a Daedric curse. He cast the bubble on me and I flew up in the air and died in the air. But instead of falling back down to the ground, I fell in the sky and I was stuck in the sky. So no one was able to actually reach and res me. And what was funny was Thais was trying to glitch the system going, maybe if I stand directly under you, it'll ignore the Y axis and just let me, you know, um, res. res me anyway. Well, no, it didn't. But what was funny is she's like, am I right underneath you? Am I right underneath you? And then he hit her with the bubble and she floated right up next to me. I'm like, hey, how you doing? And she fell back down. So we, we did die there a couple times, but it was, it was un, it was an, it was an unfrustrating level of difficulty. It was, it was the perfect amount in Banished Cells. And the, the, the monsters in Banished Cells were actually higher than those in Fungal Grotto. So then we decided to do Fungal Grotto. Now, at first, everyone was trying to get me to go into... What was it? Spindle Clutch. Spindle Clutch, which probably would have led to me needing a sedative and, you know, a, 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 some psychotherapy. So I said no to that. So we went into Fungal Grotto instead. Well, as soon as we step into Fungal Grotto, I got really upset because there were spideys everywhere. And they were the kind where they were like the the, the black and the red looking evil the black ones. Black widows. Yeah. They were they were really gross. They just looked like they they would attack you and, and your skin would go necrotic and you'd just die in seconds. I, I didn't enjoy it. It was horrible. I was screaming throughout the whole dungeon. Oh, and then there were two bosses in that dungeon that were actual gigantic spidey creatures. The one of which got up on its hind legs and was roaring at me. Did not enjoy that. That's also the boss where you die a lot because you can't sprint. Because you need your stamina. That was actually one of my favorites, actually. It was uh, not really a spider. It was one of the spider danger because the people we're fighting in there are the cult of Minfala, the spider cult. And it was kind of neat because how the fight works, and this is something that was pretty cool. Like, the first fight was a giant spider. He wasn't super difficult because a lot of it was um, just him laying down lots of poison circles on the ground. Just avoid them and it was pretty much just DPS him down. It was a fairly simple fight. Now the next fight in Fungal Grotto is the one that we got stuck on for a very long time. Because it I forget who it was but it was um, just one person... Uh, member of the spider cult and the mechanics of the fight are like this that when you start the fight off she hits like a truck by the way um there's two sets of ads a group of four that pick a random player and attempt they chain them to the ground so you're stuck on the ground with your arms and legs chained in between them and a like spectral sword is falling down towards your body and if it reaches the player it supposedly kills them i think uh Arkner, who was tanking for us survived it once but he only had like five hit points left so um it, it's meant to be an instant kill mechanic so what you have to do is you have to interrupt their meditation by shield bashing them or stunning them i'm assuming something along those lines and making them stop so 
we had Kipster, he put on his sword and shield, and he would, him and Ark were going back and forth, always trying to stun. The second group of shadow adds just do a huge amount of damage. And the other mechanic she does is she links two characters together with a with a line of light and it constantly does damage to them and I'm talking a lot and of quickly. damage and very quickly. And you have to run apart from each other to break that break that link. We wiped on that a lot. A lot, a lot. And I, I think I was, at that point, I'd switched to melee um, because my my two-handed axe has a, I upgraded cleave to carve. I morphed it and it gives me ultimate. So every time there was a set of four of them, I would just go in there and cleave and my ultimate would go up like crazy so I could keep doing that uh, that soul assault ultimate which does insane amount of damage it's like one of the best ultimates in the game it really is for damage i love it but that was a really 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 fun fight um we made it through that after i don't even know how many wipes thanks to kipster for giving both the east and i an extra set of soul gems because we were running out because we were constantly rezzing each other and it, it was such fun. It really, really was. I enjoyed it thoroughly. I thought it was a little too difficult. I, I don't know. Because I know on the spider bosses, those were my fault. I wasn't concentrating because I don't, I don't want to look at the boss. So if I'm not looking at the boss, it kind of means I can't see health bars as much as I should. I can't lay down my healing rain, healing springs, wrong game. So it makes it difficult for me to actually, you know, heal adequately. But there were a lot of times we died over and over again. These two dungeons, I think we were running dungeons for over four hours. They took a very long time. And the final boss in Fungal Grotto, the mechanics for her were awesome. It was such a good boss fight. Before we talk about that, let's talk about your other one, the Spider Queen, the Spider Daedra, because that was a fun fight for me. I loved it. Because when you're fighting that one, she's essentially has, um, she puts red circles on the ground that radiate from her that you have to be out of. Also, there's these two little, I guess, laser beams, essentially is what they are, that target from the shrine behind you and if they they hit a spot and they will follow a player and the circle gets wider and wider until it hits its its max size and then explodes and the closer you are to the center of that circle the more damage you take um yeah so you can actually be on the outskirt and not die of the circle i died from that every time it hit me no if you're on the outskirt it doesn't kill you oh if you're in the dead center it kills you okay yeah because it happened to me several times um, but one of the cool mechanics of it, it's just a lot of movement in that fight, but the cool mechanic is she summons a portal to a Daedric realm, and inside that Daedric realm is full of other little spiders, ghostly spiders, real spiders, and it will randomly suck whichever player is the closest into that realm. And for a time, Kipster and I were um, trading back and forth, and I gotta say, it is so much fun being inside that that realm because you feel like a total hero because the music is playing 
It sounds really cool. You're in there. I was just like, you know what? It's me walking in there with my axe because I switched to axe when I was in there to melee everything. And it's just like, you get sucked in the realm, all these little spiders start hissing and spraying poison at you. It's just like, you whip the axe off your back and just start cleaving through them. Oh my goodness, is it a lot of fun. I I love that fight. Now, the next fight, there are a lot of bosses in Fungal Grotto, by the way. It is a lot of fun. Which is why we started calling it a raid. Yes. Uh, The next one was really kind of, it was an interesting fight. Because it was the Nord guy who did the... He, he's almost a tank and spank. He doesn't do a lot of mechanics. He does one mechanic where he swings his sword over his head. And if you're stuck in that circle, it will do damage. But the real mechanic of this fight is he throws his sword up in the air and drains all of your magicka. It just is a constant drain on magicka. So pretty much the entire fight, healers have zero magicka. You have to rely on any sort of uh, magic or regain, potions, equilibrium, whatever you have in order to gain magic, which, by the way, you need to pick up equilibrium. It eats stamina and converts it to mag- or health and converts it to magicka. It's really. not open for me yet. Oh! Oh, it's Mage's Guild? That's right. Yes, so... But it's a constant fight to keep your magicka up so you can do anything. It, it is an interesting fight. Now, the final boss was a lot of fun, too. It it really only has... It's a fairly simple mechanic, but it's easy to mess up. You essentially draw a triangle in the room because there's a a bubble, like an aura of magic in the one corner. That's That's your tip of your triangle. You never really go in there much. And the boss requires... She's ranged, so you need that one taunt from... um. From the Undaunted. We are Undaunted. Undaunted. I hate their chant. Um, They should fire those voice actors. They really should. (laughs) Anyway, um, you have to use the range taunt. And what you do is everyone stacks up. Because when she ports to you, she'll port over to you at one point. And she lays poison where every member of the character was standing. So you try to get all the poison stacks all stacked up. And then what you do is you run to the opposite side of the room where she was, turn around, and start damaging her again. At random points in the fight, she will raise up her staff and she puts this little magical beam to every character, which does insane amount of dot damage. Insane amount. And you have to run into that aura of magic in order to clear the you know to break the magical bond or otherwise it'll kill you in a matter of seconds but you never want to stay within that protective aura of magic because if she lays poison in there you can't run in there if she targets you with that beam again so it it was just a really fun fight and i know uh ark he was up to like 5 a.m playing with us and kip and we it was just so much fun i had so much fun doing those veteran dungeons. So we'll have to go back and we'll have to do Spindle Clutch next. We'll have to do that for next week or something. But uh, that ends our Tales section. Unless there's any- oh, I did forget one thing. Last week I said how I caught uh, Lycanthropy in the Rift. Well, I did manage to actually cure myself of it because there's no way I wanted it. And it was kind of funny because I was talking to some of the guildies and stuff like that. And people are like, I don't get it. I'm sitting out there running around the rift at like level 15, 20, you know, 
looking for these guys for weeks to get bit by a werewolf because they want to get bit by it. And you're just out there wandering, picking flowers, not even wanting to be a werewolf, and you get attacked and become a werewolf. So I cured myself. Just so yeah, I had to go to a priest of, um, I guess it's RK, and he cures you of, of the disease. They're normally in the uh, Mage's Guild, so I did cure myself. So I am no longer a werewolf. But that ends our Tales section for this week. And um, now we're going to move on to the next section of our show, which is the dramatic reading. As we stated last week, we we have started a new series of books from the Elder Scrolls Online. And the last series was Daedric Princes. So we decided we were going to do a different book uh, set. And this series is known as Divines and Deities. Uh, the series of books contains 10 volumes, Gods and Worships in Tamriel, which was last week. This week, we are doing mono, the monomyth, Dragon God and the Missing God. So, Thais, go ahead and take it away. In Mundus, conflict and disparity are what bring change. And change is the most sacred of the 11 forces. Change is the force without focus or origin. Agnathir Teherite. Order of Sigic. Simply put, the schism in the human Aldmari worldview is the mortal's relationship to the divine. Humans take the humble path that they were created by the immortal forces, while the Aldmer claim descent from them. It doesn't seem like much, but it is a distinction that colors the rest of their diverging mythologies. All Tamrilic religions begin the same. Man or Mer, things begin with the dualism of Anu and his other. These twin forces go by many names. Anu Padome, Anuel Sithis, Akel, Satak Akel, Is Is Not. Anuel is the everlasting, ineffable light. Sithis is the corrupting, inexpressible action. In the middle is the Grey Maybe, or Nern in the Elnafe. In most cultures, Anuel is honored for his part of the interplay that creates the world. But Sithis is held in highest esteem because he's the one that causes the reaction. Sithis is thus the original creator, an entity who intrinsically causes change without design. Even the Hist acknowledge his being. Anuel is also perceived of as order, opposed to, to the Sithis, chaos. Perhaps it is easier for mortals to envision change than perfect stasis. For, of, for often, Anuel is relegated to the mythic background of Sithis's fantasies. In Yogodan folktales, which are among the most vivid in the world, Satak is only referred to a handful of times as the Hum. He is a force so prevalent as to be not really there at all. In any case, from these two beings spring the Et-Ada, or original spirits. To humans, these Et-Ada are the gods and demons. To the Altmer, the Aedra Daedra, or the Ancestors. All the Tamrilic pantheons fill their rosters from these Et Eta, though divine membership often differs from culture to culture. Like Anu and Padme, though, every one of these pantheons contains the archetypes of the Dragon God and the Missing God. The Dragon God and the Missing God. The Dragon God is always related to time and is universally revered as the First God. He is often called Akatosh whose perch from eternity allowed the day. He is the central god of the Cyrodiilic Empire. The missing god is always related to the mortal plane and is a key figure in the human Aldmari schism. 
The missing refers to either his palpable absence from the Pantheon, another mental distress that is interpreted a variety of ways, or the removal of his divine spark by the other immortals. He is often called Lorcan, and his epitaphs are many, equally damnable and devout. Note that Tamriel and the mortal plane do not exist yet. The Great Maybe is still the playground of the original spirits. Some are more bound to a news light, others to the unknowable void. Their constant flux and interplay increase their number, and their personalities take long to congeal. When Akatosh forms, time begins, and it becomes easier for some spirits to realize themselves as beings with a past and a future. The strongest of the recognizable spirits crystallize, Mephala, Arkay, Yifri, Magnus, Rabukta, etc., etc. Others remain as concepts, ideas, or emotions. One of the strongest of these, a barely formed urge that others call Lorcan, details a plan to create Mundus, the mortal plane. Humans, with the exception of the Red Guards, see this act as a divine mercy, an enlightenment whereby lesser creatures can reach immortality. Aldmer, with the exception of the Dark Elves, see this act as a cruel deception, a trick that sundered their connection to the spirit plane. I really like that, like that book a lot because it, it. The one thing that really fascinates me about this game is how deep, the the not just the history but the whole religion sect and, and the gods and stuff actually is, and like, like it even said. Even though all the religions in themselves they contain bits and pieces of the other ones, it's they all contain two essentially two essential at least in this story, two essential things. A new in Padme and the story of the dragon god and the missing god. And each one, it's kind of neat how each group of people see see things in different ways. Like, they still see the same person, like in the case of Lorcan, both the elves, the Altmer, and the, and say the Nords, for instance, see, see the Lorcan as he was indeed a divine being, whereas to to um, to the Altmer he is a almost like a Loki type character, and you know a trickster god. And to the Nords he's almost a messiah figure, a a, a god that gave of himself that they may live. So that is that is it's really really fascinating. It wasn't that difficult to read either. I was quite happy. Okay, uh, moving on to the next section is we're going to move on to our community spotlight. And our community spot this this week, uh, we decided to pick Deltia's Gaming again. And specifically, we picked... Um, I found one of his guides that I really, really liked. It's an ongoing series on the Dragon Knight class. And so far... He has part one, he has an overview about playing a Dragon Knight. Part two is available now, and he goes through all the different skills and what they do and, and all of that. And it is really, really, really cool. And I do encourage you guys to go take a look over at DeltiasGaming.com. It looks like a really nice guide. There's uh, more parts of this guide coming. Apparently, he's doing a part on gear and a part on like gear loadouts and stuff of that nature, and they'll be coming soon. So if you're interested in checking out 
Um, something about Dragon Knights, or in particular any guide on Deltia's gaming, you should go ahead and do that. Um, Deltia has been on our podcast several times before. He is a recurring guest host here. And uh, we really, really love his site. You should go check it out, deltiasgaming.com. And in particular, check out the Dragon Knight class guide. All right, moving on to our next section, we are going to talk about iTunes reviews. We had one this week. Uh, This is from the uh, UK. Go ahead. Blood for the Pact, five stars, Laos 101. If playing Elder Scrolls Online was a Christmas tree, Tales of Tamriel would be the happy Santa that stuck around to chat after you opened up his presents. As Jellos and Thais are the Rudolph and Blitzen of the gaming podcast world, dragging their slave knowledge across the skies of Nern. As you can imagine from a pair of married talking reindeer, this is a highly enjoyable and informative podcast. I think that was the best description of our podcast ever. <laughs> It definitely was. And I want to thank uh, thank Laos101 for giving us that. Also, if you're from another country other than the U.S., um, letting us know if you put an iTunes review out there is great. I do like to check, but uh, iTunes separates all the reviews by country. So each one is different. Thankfully, he sent me an email saying he wrote one. So that way I could go check it, check it out. So if you've uh, written a review on iTunes and you are not from the United States... You know, send us a send us a message. I do check the UK one from time to time because I know we have fans from there. Um, so, you know, but if you're from another country, I don't check those. So let us know, and I would be glad to check it out. All right, now we had a lot, a lot of emails this week. So, um, but we're not actually going to read. Like I posted everything, um, but we're not actually going to read everything in every email. Um, we actually received two emails from our friend uh, Michael Lard. Laird, Lard, I'm sorry. L-A-I-R-D. I'm sorry if I pronounced your name wrong. Now, he sent us the first mail, which we're not going to read because he actually sent me a second one as well, where he talks about um, how he enjoys the podcast and um, he's been catching up on our later episodes. Now, he wanted to hear our thoughts on housing. Now, this is before he got up to, I guess, episode, what was that? I forget what it is. I know the title is A Place to Lay Your Head. And so a lot of it goes through the housing and stuff of that and what our thoughts were. So by the time he caught up to that, he sent us another email, which we will definitely read this one because he caught up. So, Ace, go ahead. Good afternoon again to you. This is the second time within a week I am writing to you, and that is because I was catching up on your older episodes and got to episode 16, I think. Whichever episode it was, you talked a little bit about your hopes for housing. I found that for the most part, you both had bits and pieces of what I also would like to see. I like that you thought of of talking about it on your own since you're the first podcast I've heard do that. And I love hearing different ideas. But since you have already talked a bit about housing and you don't need to go into it further if you don't want to... However, I would still like to hear about your ideas on the mini PvP system I wrote about for it. I also have some thoughts about it being just traps and guards placed inside of the home instead of an entire basement. Again, this isn't some way to plug my post or anything. I just want to get more ideas out to the community, to Zenimax, and the more people that talk, the more they will listen. Feel free to contact me back if you have any questions or want some clarification. Otherwise, great job on the show, and I hope you are all doing well. Sincerely, Michael. P.S. 
In my previous letter, I said to you, I believe, I said in lieu of suggestions for your show, and I'm fairly certain I used that wrong. Don't worry about it. It's all good. Um, as for PvP with housing system, I really think a lot of this will come into play when justice system comes in. Because if they let you break into other people's houses and steal stuff, I think that would be really cool, being able to sneak into other people's houses. Now, that all depends on how they do the housing system. Um, if they do, like, a community-style housing with uh, wards and stuff like, like Final Fantasy XIV does, you could pick a ward, go into it, and try to break into houses. It would be kind of neat if, they could, if you could put, like, a, uh, a retainer or some other person, like, in your house... Are perhaps even your alts, huh? <laughs> that they stay in your house and would actually act as, you know, uh, um, enemies to fight for anyone who broke into the house. I think that'd be kind of neat. And they used to staring at me like, what? I- I'm not sure I agree with that because I want to be the person who wants to steal everything from NPCs. If someone was to break into my house that I spent all kinds of time building, even if they don't necessarily mess with anything that I have done, I would still feel, um, I'd feel a little violated. Not sure I want that. That would, uh, that would not be cool. I like it. I really like it as well. A lot. Now, see, I think a lot of the stuff that, okay, (laughs) I think a lot of the stuff that, um, when they do this kind of system, I don't think they're going to be able to actually steal your stuff. I think they'll use a random thing that if you go into someone's house, they're not going to take note of things that are in... They'll, they'll go to loot like a, uh, a cabinet and it will randomly generate something for them to steal. It's not going to steal what you have in it. I don't, I don't know of any game that would allow you to do that in an offline sense and I highly doubt they would do something like that because that kind of thing is generally not looked upon with favor because then what when people log off they're like great now my house is just going to get ransacked and that's what would happen so i i really don't think that's going to happen i think if someone breaks into your house you may get like a little fun notification someone broke into your house but nothing that you actually stored would be stolen i think it's something similar to you know it's just a fun mechanic you sneak into someone's house oh this is nice how they laid it out and let's let's ransack it and they would just randomly open drawers and stuff like that and and things would come out but it'd be random i would need all of my alts to like beat up my burglars now you'd have to level up your alts oh man (laughs) all right next email this one is from nate hi guys great work on the show as always Having completed everything available through my Ebonheart pack questing, I'm about to start a new character for another faction. I can't decide where to focus my crafting, though. I spend most of my time raising my skills in provisioning and alchemy within Ebonheart, but apart from the satisfaction of being able to create strong potions, I never found it was much use. I always have more potions than I need, and I can't eat provisions fast enough. On top of that, I've never thought any of my weapons were underpowered. Might be because I'm a heavy armored DK. So I've never felt the need to craft weapons or use any other than those I'm rewarded from with quests. Those I'm rewarded with from quests. I've also heard enchantment is pointless at certain skill levels. It is a really poorly implemented system compared to Skyrim. So my question for you is, what should I bother leveling in my new character? I'm probably going to play as a sorcerer. 
and try and specialize in destruction magic. As to where I spend my time crafting, if at all, might be up to you guys. What should I do? Thanks. My suggestion is actually enchanting. It's really hard to find great runes in the world. If you are going to make any of your weapons, if you want to sell anything to make lots of money, enchanting is probably your best bet. Now it takes a long time and it's being changed a little bit so it might be easier later on, but you can make a lot of good money that way. You can always replace or update enchantments on gear that you already have as long as it's not locked. If you decide to make any of your gear, you can just you can pretty much make them any way you want them besides it being chosen from quests what you're going to get. It takes a while, but it's a really good skill to have. I'm actually of the opposite. I, I don't think enchanting is pretty much worthless as a whole. Um, to make the most amount of money, your best bets actually would be still the blacksmithing, clothing, and uh, woodworking. And this is why. What you want to do is not so much to level them up, because gears neither here nor there if you don't feel like crafting. The big things you want are those deconstruction bonuses as well as the um, hirelings so you can get the, the upgrade materials because those sell. If you want money, getting a tempering alloy, uh, dreg wax or whatever the other one's called, rosin or whatever it is, the legendary and epic quality upgrade mats sell for a lot of gold i find those to be the best money makers because if you get those especially with that higher points and that extraction ability you have a better chance of getting those rare upgrade materials and then you can sell those i'm telling you right now i probably i have two or three stacks of honing stones which are cheap you're not going to sell them for a lot don't don't even expect to but the um dwarven oil sells for almost like 500 gold a piece and i probably have almost i have like 80 of those um the grain solvents sell for over a thousand at least from what i've seen and i probably have close to a full stack of those and i probably have close to 50 of the tempering alloys which at this point sell for over 2.5 to 3k so you can make a lot of money fairly quickly if you're willing to part with those items but that's what I would say. The other thing is alchemy. Because if you can get those points where you're creating lots of... He already leveled it on oh, his other did? character and he didn't enjoy it. Uh, it's That's one of those things where it's kind of hit or miss. Because you're going to need lots of potions. Like, um, I was talking to Kipster the other night. And he does a lot of trials and stuff. And he goes through potions like crazy. So he's constantly buying stacks as he didn't level it. So you can make money making high-end potions for, like, veteran rank 12 potions. If you can make the, you know, good potions, you can sell them because those endgame PvPers and PvEers want them because they go through stacks of them in, in a week's time. But um, it's still a matter of, I still think the, the better way is the blacksmithing and woodworking and um, clothing. Because if you get those high extraction, you can get those upgrade mats and you can sell those. I mean, even if you get the raw materials, they sell for 1.2 to 1.3k, a, a full stack, 100, regardless of what they are. So, I mean, it, it's a quick way of just getting rid of all your extras. But those are our opinions.
Uh, moving on, next email. Okay. This is from Clayton. Jelos, good morning. I am not sure if you heard about this change, but was not in the latest official patch notes and is pretty significant for us, Nords. In the last patch, the Nord passive ability Rugged was changed from plus 300 armor to plus 6% damage resistance. In my opinion, is way better than the armor bonus. A big buff, making Nords even better as tanks. Thank you and keep up the good work. Clayton. Feral in game. Yeah, he's in the game. Oh, yeah, he is. Yeah. Yeah, I did see that change, and it was definitely a nice, nice change. Because 300 armor, in reality, is not much at all. So, um, the next email I'll read. Um, yeah. So, it, it was definitely a nice change. Come here, Khajiit. We have a Khajiit walking on our desk at the moment, because... Um, she misses mommy. Yeah, for a... For, since we are recording this episode, we're actually just using my new uh, Blue Yeti. So we're both on the same mic. So we're both over here, and normally she sits on her lap over at her desk. But uh, since she's over here, she's over on mine. Oh, what a cute little Khajiit. Um, next up, we have an email from uh, Estelden. Hey guys, recently came across your show a few weeks ago, and I've been catching up with the episode. Partway through the most recent one now. I really enjoy listening to you guys, especially as I myself play alongside my wife. And so I can really relate to your tales, especially uh, as... Coincidentally. Coincidentally, I'm a Templar and my wife is a sorcerer. Keep up the great work. Now, he was saying on another note, as I've leveled every weapon to 50 and played around with them all, I've been recently been writing guides for my guildies to help give them an idea on what skills they may want to go with, um, as it can all be... overwhelming trying to choose obviously it's just my opinion and doesn't take into account people's personal play style preferences just generic ratings uh for the skill lines so as the ace is thinking about dual wield i thought i would share this particular guide uh with you hope it helps warning it's long and he color coded to make it easier to read um but i'm guessing here it's just a wall of text now i emailed uh emailed him back and I'm not going to go through the guy because it, it it's a nice guy. He goes through and gives his opinion on each of the abilities, but it is a fairly long and it for this for this meme right here it would be a rather boring read and a listen for anyone listening going oh, yeah okay. Um, so I actually asked permission of him to post it on talesoftamrail.com. So I'm just actually waiting to hear back to see if uh, we get permission and we'll link it back to him and everything that he's done. Um, that way you guys can read it as well. But we're not going to actually go over it on the show because it is just a wall of text and um, about different abilities. But if we get permission to put it up on the website, we will do so. Um, thank you again for your email and your guide. Um, I did read through it. It does look pretty cool, actually. And I like your little rating system of the numbers behind. You put a little number next to each one based on his uh, opinion of how useful it was. So... Uh, thank you again. That is really great, and uh, we hope to hear back from you soon. All right. Now reaches the part of the show, which is our final thoughts, and let people know where they can follow us. So, Thais, tell us your final thoughts for this episode. I really enjoyed the way that we did the episode today. It was, it was, it was different. It was new. It was kind of difficult to set up at the beginning, Mm -hmm. so we'll have to find out how everyone else liked it, but I know that I had lots of fun. That's why I was doing my happy dance a little (laughs) bit earlier in the episode, 
And yeah, it was a great show. You can find me in game at at Tear Eater, T E A R E A T E R. Excellent. Um, yeah, we we definitely tried. We wanted to record on just one mic because we have uh, one really good mic right now, and um, it, it was definitely very. It was a fun show sitting right here and playing with the little Khajiit that's on her on her lap, and um, yeah, it was a fun show. We definitely learned a lot from the interview um, with Paul Sage, and uh, it's really really exciting. All the stuff that's coming. And I know I might sound harsh sometimes, but it's because I actually do love this game so much. And I want them to actually know what, you know, we're feeling as fans. I I refuse to white knight the game just because it's an Elder Scrolls game. I want it to be the best MMO out there, and that's why I give my opinions honestly. But uh, I'm still going to remain with this game because I adore it. absolutely adore it. And it is so much fun. And I cannot wait to actually do more veteran dungeons with uh, the people in the guild. Because we just had so much fun last night. It was a lot, a lot of fun. I want to thank my co-host for joining me this evening. Um, Thank everyone for listening to this podcast. If you wish to help support the podcast, feel free to donate via the PayPal link on our website. If you wish to contact us with questions, comments, criticisms, the website for our show is talesoftamriel.com or you can email the show at podcast at talesoftamriel.com. You can follow the show on Twitter at Tales of Tamriel, Facebook at facebook.com slash talesoftamrielpodcast or on YouTube at youtube.com slash talesoftamriel. Also, feel free to rate and subscribe to us via iTunes. That helps us out a lot, everyone. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of Tales of Tamriel. Have a great evening, everybody.